Let's pray together. Oh God, that's, that's the bottom line on this last Sabbath of another year on this campus. Let the glory be to you alone. And as we make that confession and testimony, would you say something to us in return, please? Something that will take us from here to there for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. I want to crunch some numbers with you. For the sake of illustration, let's pretend you are a fervent and passionate Muslim. All right? And let's also assume that part of that fervor and passion is that you are committed to reproducing yourself once a year. I.e., every single year, you will invest the energies in another human being so that that other human being will become as fervent and passionate as you are as a Muslim. Let's do the arithmetic. How long would it take you to reach the entire world? Okay, year one. We'll just do it right up here. We can do it on our fingers. Year one, and you, you reproduce yourself. What will we have at the end of uh, year one? Two. Year two, if you both go out and reproduce yourselves, what will we have at the end of year two? Four. Fervent Muslim, year one has now become four. Year three, we'll have eight. Year four, we will have 16. We're only going up to year 10. Year four, we'll have 16. Year five, we will have 32. Year six, we will have 64. Year seven, we will have 128. Year eight, we will have 256. Year nine, we will have 512. Year 10, we will have what began as one fervent, passionate Muslim by year 10 has become 1,024 Muslims. And if we keep going, watch this. By year 20, and by the way, Gary Burdick, physicist at Andrews University, has certified these numbers, so they are true. <laughs> yep, he did. By year 20, you'll reach a million. Take you 20 years. You start out as one fervent, passionate Muslim. By year 20, there will be one million. By year 30, there will be one billion and by year 35, you will have become five times the population of planet Earth. What's going on, guys? It's called geometric progression. You mathematic types know all about it, don't you? Yep, geometric progression. You medical types also know about it because that's the way a virus behaves. A virus works in the paradigm of geometric progression. Common cold is caused by a virus. So you sneeze on me, I sneeze on her, she sneezes on him, and overnight we can infect an entire swath of the populace. Geometric progression. But here's the good news. You don't have to be a mathematics type. You don't have to be a medical type in order for this to work. You don't have to even be a Muslim for it to work. You can be a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian at that. And in less than half of your lifetime, you can infect the human race five times in less than half a lifetime in 35 years. You say, ah, impossible. 
Seems that, seems that way, doesn't it? But there is an obscure line that you haven't read, I bet, in all your life that's in the Old Testament. You maybe read through it, but you haven't stopped there. I want to go to that line, the old book of Isaiah. I want to take you to this line. This is going, this is going to blow your socks off. Isaiah chapter 60. If you didn't bring a Bible, you've got to see this. Pull out the Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you. It'll be the same uh, translation that mine is, which would be the New King James Version. And if you do pull that one out, the page number will be page 501. All right? 501. Isaiah chapter 60. Okay. See it there? Whatever translation you have, this is amazing, amazing, amazing. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22, the last line of Isaiah 60. Watch this. And a little one shall become, how many? A thousand. And a small one, a strong nation, for I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. What's going on here? Tucked away in this single obscure Old Testament line are two incredible realities. If you will grasp these two realities, it will breathe a whole new wind of fresh hope into your future. Because I got to tell you something, I'll be honest with you. I have worried, I have fretted about the future, the future on this planet. I mean, how, how is God going to do it? How is God going to reach the entire world? Can't be done. I mean, you, you just do the arithmetic. Here's some more numbers. In case you haven't heard these numbers, may I run these by you? Every single second on planet Earth, guess how many babies are born? Every single second. Four. Four babies. Every single second on planet Earth, Two human beings die, leaving a net growth of two per second. Every six days, that produces one million people. And every year, 60 million people are added to the log of the human race. We can't even keep up with the people who are alive, much less reaching those who are still coming. How in the world is God going to do it? Impossible. Oh, it's true. I've memorized, I've memorized the commands. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. I've memorized those last words of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. But the problem is, guys, how are you going to put an amen on that? (laughs) Come on, with the numbers that we just looked at? Impossible until I discovered two rather obscure realities, two uncommon phrases tucked away in our Bible, the realities of which are tucked away. If you will discover these two, and I'm telling you what, here's the last Sabbath of the school year. I can't think of two phrases that can energize and ignite your future Greater than these two. Let me share them with you. Two uncommon phrases. And I'll make you this promise. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, grasp the reality of these two uncommon phrases and you will never be the same again. Ever. Ever. Let's write them down. Take your study guide out, please, from your worship bulletin today. Take out your study guide. It's right there. Brand new one, ready to go. Now... Ushers, let's get some because I see a lot of people that got in without uh, without their uh, worship bulletin. So hold your hand up. want to make sure you get this. This will be material you can brood on later and you can pass it on. Pass it on. And while the ushers are doing that, don't forget the balcony ushers. I want to say to those of you who are watching on television right now or listening on the radio, you can go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. There it is, www.pmchurch, Pioneer Memorial Church, pmchurch.tv. That's our TV at... 
end of the website and click onto the series. This is the last of the series. Mercy came a running. Mercy came a running. I've been teaching a class at the Theological Seminary this semester. It's a very concentrated class. We did it in five weeks. And these guys have been begging me, begging me, please, Dwight, don't have a final. Please, don't have a final. And the last day I came into class and they wrote it on the screen. Regarding the final, mercy came a running. (laughs) Well, guys, I just want to advise you because I see a bunch of them here. You just better show up Tuesday at 2 o'clock because we'll be in finals then. Okay, mercy came a running. Today comes to an end. The title of today's teaching, Mercy Comes, Mercy Goes. Mercy Comes and Mercy Goes. You see study guide, talking to you watching on television, you see study guide there at the website. Click there. You've got the same study guide. Let's go. Two uncommon phrases with one uncommon truth. Uncommon phrase number one. Write it down. We just talked about it. Geometric progression. Write in the word progression. Let's go back to Isaiah 60, the last line of Isaiah 60 again. Isaiah 60:22. And a little one shall become a thousand. And a small one, a strong nation, for I, the Lord, will hasten it. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. You know what geometric uh, progression is. We just illustrated it. It, It's an exponential explosion of numbers. They just, they, they multiply faster and faster and faster. That's geometric progression. You start with just a little one, just start with a little one, and shoom, God says you're going to have a thousand. That's geometric progression. Let's return to that opening scenario for a moment. Whether you're an ardent Muslim, and it could be some who are watching on television right now, whether you're an ardent Muslim or you're an ardent Christian, doesn't matter to me. Let's just go back to the scenario. In order for this geometric progression to work, it presupposes that there are going to be two commitments that you will make. Jot these commitments down. You've got to make these commitments. Commitment number one, you will make a fervent, passionate commitment to your Lord. You want to call him Allah? That's fine. You want to call him God? That's fine. You want to call him Lord? That's fine. But you make personally make a, a fervent and passionate commitment to your Lord. And number two, you also have to make a fervent, passionate commitment to reproduce yourself once a year. Now, that's the key. You got to do that. If you do, the numbers work. In fact, I want you to jot these numbers down because you're going to share these with others. Let's just let's just do it again. We won't go all the way up to 10. Year one, you're going to end, the year will end with two of you. Year two, it will end with four of you. Year, year three, it will end with eight of you. Now, let's skip. Dot, 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 dot. Let's go to ten. Write it down. 1,024, just as passionate as you, will be there ten years later. Write it down. Year 20, one million. In 20 years, little old you will become a million. And by year 30, you will become one billion. One billion. Add just five more years, and you, you, will, you will infect the earth Five times over, five times the population of Earth by year 35. Isn't that amazing? You're saying, oh, come on, Pastor. That really worked that way. Yes, it does. It's called geometric progression. Precisely Isaiah's point. In fact, uh, let's put this from the New Living Translation, and you'll have to fill it in. I like that some of you brought the NLT to church. The smallest family will multiply. See, geometric progression is involved with multiplication. The smallest family will multiply into a large, a thousand. The Hebrew says a large clan. The tiniest group will become a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will bring it all to pass at the right time. Now, what's going to happen? This has to be born out of a fervent, passionate commitment to the Lord and a fervent, passionate commitment to reproduce yourself once every year. And here comes the caveat. Here's the caveat. Of course, of course, it can break down. 
Because this assumes that you will be fervent and passionate every year. If you say, no, I'm taking this year off, I'm not going to be fervent and passionate, it won't work. This also assumes that everybody you bring in to your Lord will be as fervent and passionate as you to make the commitment to reproduce him or herself once a year. Anywhere along the way, you can stop it, melt down, the thing ends. I understand that. Which is why, ladies and gentlemen, uncommon phrase number one. Would you write this down? Uncommon phrase number one is insufficient. You can't do it just with uncommon phrase number one. You have to have uncommon phrase number two. Those two harnessed together are the explosive formula with an uncommon truth to end the school year. And so would you write it down? Uncommon phrase number two. What is it? It's called the divine passive. The divine passive. So what in the world is that? Well, let's find out. Go back to uh, verse 22, Isaiah 60. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. For I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Now, geometric progression is hinted in the first half of the verse. One becomes a thousand. And the divine passive is hinted in the last half. I, the Lord, I will hasten it in its time. What's the divine passive? He said, oh, come on. There was something, something out of the seminary. Probably. Write it down, though. Here's a definition for the divine passive. It's a Hebrew grammatical device in which the action of the passive verb is understood to be accomplished by God himself. Now, I know that those of you that have freshman comp behind you now are saying, please, I didn't think we'd get more comp on the last Sabbath of church. Nope. This is it. I got to ask you, do you know how a passive works? Do you remember a passive? Remember, there's active and passive, active and passive. How does a passive work? Okay, let me give you the active. I hit the ball. All right. This is the season. So, boom, I hit the ball. That's the active. The subject acts. Something happens. But watch this. I was too. I was hit by the ball. That's no longer active. Subject didn't do a thing. I was hit. It happened to me. That's the passive. Passive is where the verb goes back and gets the subject. Doesn't go forward. It goes backwards and gets the subject. So, the Hebrew divine passive. Watch this. Let's take, let's take one of the f- great lines of Scripture. The first line of Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. There's a passive verb there. Do you, what, what's the passive verb? Come on, scholars. What's the passive verb? We're finished. Heavens and earth, everything, we're finished. By whom? Doesn't say. No, no, it doesn't say. But that's the Hebrew divine passive. The writers will use the passive to mean that, in fact, as Genesis 1 has already told us, the actor here of the accomplishment is God himself. See, the divine passive means God is the actor. He's left out of it. Let's do another one. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. Now, one of our scholars came up to me after a first church and said, Dwight, you know, that's English and that's not passive. It's the Greek. The Greek is passive. No, it doesn't say who finished it. It just says it's finished. Understood that even as he was the sole player in the creation of the human race, at the end of our tragic rebellion, let's put the, put the screen up. At the end of our sad, sad story, he becomes the sole player all over again. Let me tell you something. Listen, listen. God gets all the credit for our creation 
and our redemption. You can't do a thing to save yourself. You cannot save yourself. It takes somebody outside of you to perform that action and to save you. It's a divine passive. You say, oh man, I'm really confused now. Hold on. Oh, come on. Don't, don't, don't check out on me yet. I want to share one more text with you. This is explosive. When you see it in this text, you'll see why it's such great news. Let's go to that text that I quoted just a moment ago from Matthew 24. Because Matthew has been our, our theme book all this uh, series long. So let's go back. We'll end up on this one. Matthew 24. If you have a red letter Bible, these words better be bright red. Because this is just a few hours, just a, three days before Jesus is executed. Before the it is finished is declared that God has accomplished the salvation of the human race. Matthew chapter 24, drop down to verse 14. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be what? Passive, 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 see? It acts back on the gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then, boom, the end comes. Passive verb. My friend, Ranko Stefanovich, chair of the uh, religion department here at Andrews University, in his commentary on the book of Revelation. He's the one that taught me this when I was reading his commentary through. He said, this is divine passive. You think about it. Jesus could have said, and hey, you guys, hey, you, 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 you will preach the gospel all over the world. And when you're through, then I come. He could say that, but he doesn't. He leaves us completely out of the picture. And he just says, by the way, the gospel is going to get preached. It will be preached. And then I will come. The divine passive. Because what does the divine passive mean? What is it? What is it? What's the hint of the divine passive? Who's doing the action? God's doing the action. Good news. Jesus says, hey, guys, you've been sitting around worried about who's going to finish. Who's going to finish God's work? I got some great news for you. God will. I will finish my work myself. The divine passive. Whoa. Which is precisely what we just read in Isaiah 60, verse 22, when God declares, I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Listen to me, God says, I'm going to do it in the end. I'll do the whole thing. Trust me. All I need is one. I need one of you. Will you be the volunteer? I just need, give me one. Just give me one. If you will have a fervent passion for me, if you will have a fervent passion for the good news, the everlasting gospel, I promise you, I can take you, boy, girl, I can take you, and out of you, I'm going to make a thousand. You just give me you. What are you going to be when you get out of here? A doctor? Is that it, Jessica? A doctor? You're going to be a nurse? You're going to be a teacher? You're going to be a preacher? You're going to be a farmer. You're going to be a plumber. I don't care. God says, it doesn't matter to me what you choose to become. I just need you. Give me you. Just you. And I will take geometric progression and I will take the divine passive. And do you know what? I will reach an entire civilization in less than a half of a lifetime. Wow. Jot, jot it down, will you? Um, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22, and Matthew 24, 14 are God's promise to combine geometric progression and the divine passive to reach an entire civilization in half a generation. Half a generation. Half a lifetime. 35 years. I can do it just like that. And by the way, by the way, he can do it quickly. He doesn't have to wait a half a lifetime. 
In fact, fill it in in your study guide, Isaiah 60, 22. For I, the Lord, will hasten, write in that word hasten. He can do it fast, just like that. Just like Mother Nature, by the way. Just like Mother Nature. How did you like that? Did you, did you hear the ominous wail of the uh, tornado's sirens on Thursday? Wasn't that something? Wow. Just like that. Weather patterns change. And we're all heading to the basement. Where'd you go? You went outside, didn't you? You said, hey, bring it on. Let me see this. I want to see it. Took your little camera with you and everything. Just like weather maps can instantaneously change, even so human events, boom, can change. And God said, I can do this thing. I can do this thing overnight. Look at this. Romans chapter 9, verse 28. For he, God, will finish, fill it in. He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. Short, 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 short. Did you get that? Short, 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 short. There are no numbers that bother God today. Bothers me because I'm running out of time. Bothers you because you're saying, how can it possibly be done? And God says, what's the problem? I can do this whole thing myself. I can do it in a short. Finish it. I just need one. I just need one volunteer to step forward and say, yes, sir, you can count me in and I'll take you. You have a passion for me? You have a passion to reproduce the gospel in the lives of others? I'll take you. Come here, girl. I'll take you. I'll take you. Reminds me of these words written a hundred written years ago. There will be a series of events at the end of time. A series of events revealing that God is the master of the situation. And the final events will be boom, boom, boom. Rapid ones. The day is coming when the divine passive will explode into action. And by, by the way, God will not only do the work, he will finish the work. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Now here comes. You see, let it be clear that the divine passive will not become active while we remain passive. Won't happen. That's the uncommon truth from two uncommon phrases. Would you write it down, please? The divine passive will not become active while we remain passive. Can't happen. Cannot happen. Keep your pen moving. That means once mercy has come a-running to us, we must go a-running for Him. Because capital M, mercy, is a Him. Yes, it is. Him. I think of the Muslim world. We began... This teaching today, thinking about them. We began the school year, didn't we? We began the school year talking about Muslims. I think of the Muslim world. 1.4 billion of them. A people with a fervent, passionate commitment. Just watch the evening news. They got it. They got it. A people, by the way, whose hearts are as broken over the mayhem in the Middle East as our hearts are. I saw a piece on 60 Minutes this week. Laura Logan was interviewing a Sunni Muslim father and who told her that his sole mission every single day is to get his kids safely to school and get them home again without being killed on the streets of Baghdad. His sole mission is to keep my little babies alive to and from school. Laura Logan then asked him, this, how does this all affect you? And that swarthy, Middle Eastern man, his lip began to tremble and his eyes just welled up with tears. 
He couldn't even talk. And she reached out and touched his knee. He didn't, he didn't need to say a word. She knew. We knew. Let me tell you something. I understand. I know there are evil terrorists whose cruel massacres besmirch the Islamic people of earth. But we should no more blame Islam for them than they should blame Christianity for the slaughter on our campuses and in our cities. Tired of hearing people go around blaming the religion, blaming the people. It's a problem with the Muslims. What do you think they're saying about America? That's the problem with the Christians. They kill each other on campus. They kill each other in the city. We all have the problem, and it's two words long, human nature. I don't blame the Muslims. Don't you suppose that when mercy comes a-running, it will come running for the Islamic peoples of earth as well? Don't you think? I mean, how is, mercy going, how is mercy going to reach them? It will reach them the same way mercy reached you. You've been reached. You got reached. I don't know how you got reached, but you got reached. How did mercy reach you? It took somebody to run for mercy. Somebody came to you in the name of mercy. That's what Matthew 24, 14 is all about. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Divine passive. We know who the ultimate actor is here who will accomplish it himself. The gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Does not the divine passive include the Muslims? Huh? Doesn't it? Don't you think when mercy comes a running, his arms will be outstretched to the children of the east along with the children of the west? Please. But of course. And how will mercy reach them? The same way mercy reached you. It came a running through somebody else. Which is why we began this school year with an altar call. And which is why today we are ending the school year with an altar call. Back in September, 160 of you students came forward and said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go to the Muslim world. I'll go anywhere in the world. I'll take a year out of my education at Andrews University, and I will go as a missionary. I will go as a student missionary. This last Sabbath of the year, I'd like to ask you to recommit to that decision. You who came forward on that Sabbath in September. In fact, I'm going to not only ask you, I'm going to ask others who had no idea that this last Sabbath would be an appeal for you to go to. I'm going to ask you to think about it. I want to end with a story. And while I'm reading this little story, you think about it. You can go. You can go. You don't have to go today. You don't have to go this summer. You can go ahead and come back to school if you wish. But you can still take a year. You can go. I want to end with the story of the graveyard at Miango. Philip Yancey, in his marvelous book, the newest book, it's on prayer. Does it, does it make any difference? Prayer, does it make any difference? Oh, in the book he tells this. It actually concerns, it, it it's, involves uh, a Michigan professor. His name is Charles Edward White. And he has been taking some relief uh, teaching stints over in Nigeria, a predominantly Muslim nation, by the way. Nigeria at the University of Jos. Assume that's how you pronounce it, J-O-S. When, once over, one of the, one of the uh, relief stints over there, in fact, I'll just let uh, Yancey pick it up here. While there, while, while in Nigeria, 
Charles Edward White. He visited a mission, look at this, a mission graveyard in a quiet garden beside a chapel on Nigeria's central plateau. Most of the graves, he noticed, strange, most of the graves are, are, were small, two and three foot mounds to accommodate child-sized coffins. In fact, he went and did the arithmetic. Thirty-three of the 56 graves, in fact, held the bodies of small children. The tombstones went back as far as 1928, but old-timers in the mission could tell him only stories of the most recent deaths. He began to put the stories together. Two of the infants lived just one day. So he's reading the, he's reading the headstones or the pieces of wood. Others lived a few years, falling victim to the tropical diseases common in that part of the world. And now here comes, here comes a moment. Melvin Lewis Goosen was 12 when he and his brothers fell off a suspension bridge over a rain-swollen creek. Their missionary father, Arthur Goosen, dived into the creek to save one son. When he went back into the creek to save the other, both he and Melvin drowned. And so both are buried in the graveyard in Miango. Charles Edward White eventually came back. He wrote a piece, a little essay for Christianity Today, in which he reflects on God's mercy coming out of the story of the graveyard. Let me, let me read a line from that uh, essay. The graveyard at Miango tells us something about God and about His grace. Listen to this. God's grace may be free, but it is not cheap. Neither purchasing our salvation nor letting us know of the gift was inexpensive. Was Calvary inexpensive? No, 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 no. But the new thought for me is not only was the purchase done 2,000 years ago, not only was that expensive, somebody had to get the news to me. I don't know about my family tree and I don't know about yours, but there was somebody. There is an anonymous missionary in your life somewhere on your family tree. And we have no idea what it cost that missionary in Europe and South America and Asia and Australia and Africa and North America. Somebody came to your folk, your kinfolk. Somebody came and said, I have some good news to pass on to you. And because of that anonymous missionary, you're sitting here today. Somebody came to you. At what cost? I have no idea. Only eternity will tell us the cost. Boy, that's a line. God's grace may be free, but it's not cheap. Neither purchasing our salvation or letting us know of the gift was inexpensive. Just letting us know. Now, listen, beginning with Abel, he goes on. Many of the witnesses to divine grace sealed their words with their blood. Jesus asked the Jews, which of the prophets was not persecuted? Hey, guys, it's a tough life. It's a tough life. When he first sent out his disciples, he promised them betrayal and death. Then at the end of his ministry, he promised his followers that as they carried his word, they would face trouble and hatred. And then Charles Edward White makes this conclusion. The only way we can understand the graveyard at Miango is to remember that God also buried his son on the mission field. That is quite a closer. Would you write it down, please? Write it down. The only way we can understand the graveyard at Miango is to remember that God also buried His Son on the mission field. Nobody said becoming a missionary would be easy. But if mercy has come a run into the likes of you and me, you know, at some point, at some point, we must go running for mercy too. You see, mercy comes and then mercy goes. You can't stay. You just can't stay.
you got to go. When mercy comes to you, you must go for mercy. And so I'd like to invite you to go for mercy on behalf of mercy. I'd like to invite you to consider, you may never have considered this before, but I'd like to invite you to open up yourself to mercy and say, you know what? I'm willing to go for you. I'm willing to go for little old me. If you can turn one into a thousand, I'll go for you. If you do the work, I'll go for you. And so I want to end with an altar call. I want to invite those who came forward in September to come forward again, to recommit yourself. Some of you are going right away. David de Oliveira, the chaplain in charge of missions, has told me, he said, Dwight, we've got 27 going right now. We've got three waiting until the end of the summer. The rest planning the next year. If you came forward in September, to the Muslim world, fine. Not to the Muslim world, anywhere in the world. But if you'd be willing to say, I'll go for mercy as a student missionary, I'd like to invite you to come forward right now. Commit yourself right now. You came forward before. You're coming forward today for the first time. That's fine. Oh, I won't know. Japhet is down here. He'll, he'll get your name. Nobody's going tomorrow. Nobody's getting on a plane tomorrow. Nobody's going to have to fly to a strange country and learn to use chopsticks by next week. But somebody is going to say, Jesus, you came a running for me. How can I? Not seize this moment and go a running for you. I'm so proud of our missionaries. I'm so proud of you. Mercy is going to go running through you. I have no idea where you're going. I just know you're going. And mercy says, Go. I will hasten it. I will do it. You go, just be one little one, as Isaiah 60, 22. Just be a little one for me. I'll turn it. I'll make you into a thousand. I'll make you into a thousand. Promise you. Geometric progression and the divine passive. I'll do it for you. Are there any other students here? Students, oh, I didn't commit to anything in September, but you know what? I'm willing to open up my life right now and say, Jesus, if this is something we can pull off together... You got faculty advisors, faculty who will, who will juggle the numbers and recrunch your curriculum. They'll do it. You can do it. You say, you know what? I'd be willing to go. Is there another student here up in the back of the balcony? Anybody else? Anybody else? So proud of you. We can't all go as student missionaries. Come on, we're not all students. Can't go. Some of us can go as adult missionaries, though. We've got representatives from the Adventist Frontier Missions right here. I tell you what, so fast they would take your name and say, we'll work with you. We'll spend months working with you. But if you want to go as an adult somewhere on earth for Jesus, you go. If you're an adult here and you... Fit into that. We're going to sing a hymn in a moment. You can quietly slip up while we're singing that hymn. But I want to talk to the rest of you because I'm a baby boomer. And when we grew up, it kind of became anathema. Quit praying for the missionaries and the call pours. Just stop it. It's just a repetitious prayer. I want to say to all of you, it's time to get off of that kick. It's time to start praying for the missionaries again. We've got people who are burying their dead across the sea. They're doing it at an 
incredible price. It's time to not kick that little phrase out of our prayer. So there are three ways that you and I can respond. We're staying right here. There are three ways. Number one, pray for them. Pray for the missionaries. You see these? Pray for them. There are more where these came from. Pray for them. Number two, give to missions. You can give right here at Andrews University to student missions. You can give at Pioneer on 13th Sabbath and it'll go to missions the whole world over. You can give when that little Sabbath school plate comes by. Give. Give to missions. Number one, pray for missionaries. Number two, give to missions. And number three, number three, you got somebody a lot closer to you than Iraq. They're right next door. Somebody is right next door to you. Become a missionary where you live. Of course, you have to get out of your comfort zone. Of course, it's, you're not going to bury a child like these missionaries did. That won't be the high price you'll have to pay. But you'll have to get over it. You'll just have to kind of suck it up and be a little bit nervous. But start building a friendship with a stranger. Start building a bridge to somebody who's lost. Start caring for lost people and ask God, is there anybody lost in my life that I should know? God will point them to you. And then you, you become God's bridge. Let mercy come and run into you.